The Batteries Included podcast is brought to you with United Chargers. United Chargers presents the Grizzly range of EV chargers. There's the original Grizzly Classic, a powerful, heavy-duty, portable EV charging station built to withstand the toughest conditions. The Grizzly Duo, a dual-port unit designed to charge two vehicles at the same time. The Grizzly Mini, a small, portable charging station built with an indoor-outdoor rated cast aluminium enclosure. And the Grizzly Smart, a revolutionary smart EV charger. All Grizzly chargers come with a convenient 24-foot cable and the ability to adjust the current from 16 amps all the way up to 40 amps. That's 9.6 kilowatts. Plus, they're IP67 rated. Built in Canada with the highest quality materials, order yours now at unitedchargers.com. That's unitedchargers.com. Hello, and welcome to the Batteries Included podcast. It's October the 20th, 2023, and this is episode number seven. Thank you very much for joining us. On today's show, we'll be talking about Toyota and Lexus adopting the Tesla North American charging standard, General Motors delaying its electric truck program, Tesla Cybertruck gets a delivery date, and we're told to lower our expectations. Of course, much, much more. I'm Dominic Yoni, host of the YouTube channel Drive Electric with Dominic. Joining us today is the perspicacious Mr. Tom Malogny, senior editor at Inside EVs and host of the YouTube channel State of Charge. We also have the magnificent, I said magnificent, Mr. Martin Lee (laughs) from the EV News Daily podcast, which is available on all the best podcast platforms. And our special guest today is Francie formerly with EVgo, and she is now the main host of the Out of Spec podcast. Hey there, everybody. Good to see you all again. Why don't we just kick it over to you, Martin, and for the EV News Daily Weekly Reporting Roundup. Okay, let's look at what's happened in the world. I love that jingle. I love that. It's such a good jingle. Uh, Let's take a look at what's happened in the world of electric vehicles over the last week. Tesla introduced a feature to forecast the availability of supercharger stalls upon your arrival at a supercharger station. Uh, The capability is part of the 23.38 software update. If you've not had yours yet, it will estimate the number of supercharger stalls available when you reach... Uh, your destination, and even show wait times. Of course, they can do that because they're so vertically integrated. How does that work with third parties using superchargers? I guess it spoils the party a bit. Let's talk about Ford announcing the temporary layoff of 700 workers in the third shift of the F-150 Lightning. Unrelated, they say to the ongoing disagreement with the UAW strike. Nearly half of all new cars in the Netherlands are plug-ins. 47% last month of new vehicles sold were plug-in vehicles, 34% full electric models. Tesla's new Model 3 now available in the UK for orders, the so-called Highland Edition. Uh, Deliveries start January next year, starting at 39990 Rivian made significant changes to their EV features with a software update this week to refine their user journey and streamline the towing process as well. The new Drive Mode app is getting a makeover, a real-time data screen to show live metrics, things like motor temperatures, all the nerd stuff. Love it. Amazon were happy about reaching 10,000 of their Amazon vans made by Rivian, each with 150 mile, uh, miles capacity, working in 1,800 US cities. They've doubled the number on the road since only July. Amazon has 12,000 charging points in 100 delivery hubs. This is all in the US, of course. 
The High Court of Australia ruled against Victoria's EV tax, calling it unconstitutional. The decision was brought uh, in a case brought by two EV owners who challenged the tax, stating that the state government didn't hold the authority to levy per mileage fees on EV owners. BMW announced they would be the latest name to join the North American charging standard, NAX, the Tesla plug for short, uh, with all of their EV models in the US and Canada. From 2025, BMW, Mini, even Rolls-Royce with the CCS charge ports until then can utilise an adapter. General Motors deferred the opening of a second production factory for its electric pickups until at least the end of 2025. Silverado Silverado EV work truck is currently now in production at their factory zero, the Detroit Hamtramck assembly uh, facility. But there was going to be a second one open, the Orion facility, after maybe a year or so of retooling because the Bolt and the EUV get killed at the end of this year. But that facility will not be used to make the Silverado. The Nissan Leaf gets half the EV federal tax credit, 3750 for the 2024 model year, half of the maximum $7,500 incentive. BMW is kicking off deliveries of the anticipated i5 this weekend in Europe and in the US. Deliveries begin at the end of the month and a confirmed launch date spring 24 for the touring version. BMW also pioneered a fresh sales blueprint in Europe from the 1st of January. Buyers of their Mini brand in Italy, Poland and Sweden will do it online. They're going digital with that, using the dealers as like an agency model, flat fee to deliver the vehicle and deal with the customer. It'll be rolled out to the Mini, uh, the BMW main brand after that and expanding across Europe. And this week was another Tesla earnings call for the Q3 numbers and figures, a call where Elon Musk was uncharacteristically somber, at times almost positively depressed. You know, it brought back the era of the Model 3 ramp when he was really struggling uh, to sell the, you know, the positives. And uh, the profit for the past three months was $1.85 billion, which doesn't sound like a disaster to me. That sounds like a lot of money to me, but it was a 44% decline. The margins are down because of price cuts in China, Europe and the US. Elon Musk said that we must all temper our expectations of the Cybertruck. Ooh, that sounds ominous. Why should we temper our expectations? Why? What's wrong with it, Mr. Musk? And he addressed the unique production techniques associated with Cybertruck and said, and I quote, we dug our own grave. Wow. He didn't sound like his usual self on that earnings call. So wait and see uh, what happens on the 30th of November, which is the confirmed date now for Cybertruck launch. Price, specs, we don't know anything. Well, we do, but they won't be what we're told at launch, uh, at uh, reveal rather. So uh, we'll wait and see. Thank you very much for uh, watching this uh, edition of our news recap. Check out the EV News Daily podcast if you would like to get a daily update on electric vehicles. Find it on your podcast Time for a jingle. <laughs> that jingle. Love that jingle. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. It, it makes the show. 
<laughs> How'd oh, we yeah. get this far without that? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't what, know. Have we, what have we been doing all, the, all these years? I don't, We're just busking oh. it. Um, I think there's something wrong. I might go and come back. There's something wrong this end because uh, I saw in the comments that there's some stuttering, um, which is really weird. And I'm getting like the, the hosting platform we use is called StreamYard and it's coming up on my screen uh, like low Wi-Fi connection, but I'm not on wi-fi i'm on like a desktop pc that's plugged in with a cable um mm. doesn't even have wi-fi so something's freaky so i might just go and come back and i'll join you guys in uh i don't know if i can but dom you're logged in as admin right so if i do go and come back it shouldn't be a problem sure <laughs> sure let's see what happens sure, <laughs> All right. be just fine. i mean I, I can stay here if it if it works for now but um yeah, it's so working right so now. Good. So yeah, okay. actually, we'll let you know if it happens. We we'll, then we'll try. Okay, yeah. I can always go and come back. All right. Yeah, it might, it might have been the jingle kind of set off your your internet service provider. Could just, be it. Like just right, anyway. So Francie, heavy production on that. It was too much. <laughs> took up too much bandwidth. <laughs> so Francie, so uh, you are doing all kinds of podcast episodes every week on any number of EV-related topics. So this past week, you had a number of episodes around charging. You spoke with the CEO of FreeWire at like a convenience store convention, which is kind of interesting in itself. Yes. <laughs> you spoke to a, an EV driver in India about his experience, which involves a lot of charging. And you also did uh, an episode with Jordan talking about a uh, Jordan from out of spec, for those who don't know. Um, talking about a study by the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL, um, about the urgent need for more charging infrastructure. So what's your, what's your impression about the uh, state of our charging infrastructure in the US? Like, should we be panicking now or is this something, or is this something holding back EV adoption? That is a great question. And first off, I want to say thank you for having me on to the Batteries Included podcast. I am really excited to be here. Um, great to be speaking with you all. And yeah, I'm over on the Out of Spec podcast, hosting that for the most part. Sometimes we pass it off, but covering EV news, whether it's breaking news or EV adjacent, whether it's about charging or automakers or also like battery technology and regulation, basically trying to be, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty comprehensive to get a big picture of it and um, also trying to meet people where they are. You could be really tech and techie focused and want to get granular, but also we do a little big picture so that it's approachable for anyone who's trying to learn about the EV space in one way or another. So feel free to check it out. But um, yeah, back to the question. Oh, and that next show, the, it was the National Association of Convenience Stores show that I went into, <laughs> went to at Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where I met the FreeWire group. And Part of it is the technology and everything that gas stations and convenience stores, but oh my gosh, like three quarters of it was a snack party. All the snacks and drinks you could ever want in the world, everywhere, <laughs> like truly music and dancing and performers. It was quite a show. So uh, very fun and really cool to be able to talk to that group and get to talk to everyone that we do on the Out of Spec podcast. But again, back to your question, should we panic about the infrastructure? From what I've found, no. Long story short, I don't think we need to panic, but we are far off from the numbers that we need compared to some of the research that's out there. Like right now we have around 3 million EVs on the road and 130,000 chargers, and we're going to need more like 28 million charge, charge points and uh, have 30 to 40 million EVs on the road. I mean, of course, this is estimations based on uh, research from NREL that I'm quoting there, the, that National Renew Renewables Energy Lab. And 
we have a lot of growth to do, but I think there is a lot that's keeping people from adopting EVs. That's not just the infrastructure. There's other things like price and range anxiety. And of course, with range anxiety and then fear of the infrastructure, there's a bit of a positive feedback loop that if you're worried about range, then you're going to be charging more. And if you're charging more, what that's what is that experience going to be? But there is constant growth in the sector. There's so much regulation that is encouraging it and funding it. There is a lot of research that's trying to inform how to best do it so that it's sustainable. We seem to be getting more aligned on the standardization of, you know, everyone going next. And unfortunately, it's going to be a good bit of retrofitting, you know, and we took a minute to kind of get aligned. And I've seen comments lately that are like, why is the U.S. so tumultuous with their charging standards? And then, you know, over in Europe, it is... She's, you know, they've kind of figured it out a little bit and had it standardized. So I think the tumult does not help the perception of what it is like to own and drive an EV. And I think that public discourse is really important. And I'm, so, I'm optimistic about charging. Well, I mean, how else are we going to go about it? Of course, I think it's important to be critical as well and that there's a lot of accurate criticism that leads to improvement, right? Um, but getting more people to understand what the actual true experiences of driving and owning an EV is, I think, is really key to being able to kind of uh, bust some myths. But it's hard. Uh, they're, they're out of price range for a lot of people as well, which hurts more and more people getting behind the car. We've seen price drop it drops. But overall, I don't think we need to totally panic about the infrastructure, but there is a ton of work to do. And my biggest concerns are how are we going to do it? Not in a way that's like, OK, let's throw it up as quickly as we can, but really with the forethought so that we don't have anything becoming obsolete or not sustainable. And I don't mean sustainable in the green way, but more in the sustainable, lasting infrastructure that will support the growth of EV adoption. Hmm. That's a bit of my two cents there. Love it. Yeah. What do you say to that, Tom? You have some. So. Yeah. So, so you know, we've we we've touched on this before, and Kyle, I'm glad that Kyle um, joined from the road and mentioned that you know, Francie's a lot more uh, optimistic than he is, and I lean towards uh, Francie's side than Kyle's. Um, I know that there's going to be challenges. I know it's going to be a bit of a you know shit show for a while. Mm. There's no other way to put it. Uh, it's, it's, it, we're going to have some issues, but we're going to get it straightened out. Uh, there's going to be, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of opportunity, uh, to be, to be made here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, we're going to get it sorted out. I, I know it's going to be difficult for a while. Uh, you know, this better half of, of the rest of this decade, is probably going to be, you know, we're going to be reading a lot of news articles and stories about people. I return my my EV after six months because like I can't drive to my mom's house, you know, eight hundred miles away. And th 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 this is going to happen. You're going to you're going to see a lot of people making videos about how terrible it is and everything. But uh, I think it's all going to get sorted out. I think we have to really look towards the end of this decade before we yeah. can really rely on being able to get from point A to point B, wherever that is, without having, uh, without, without worrying that you're going to have a problem. And uh, it's, it's going to take a little bit of a while, but I also, you know, and I've said this before, I've been driving EVs for a long time now, since 2009. And I've seen from the beginning where there wasn't a single public charger anywhere. 
and and to get to the point to where we are now, to me, I look at it as saying, holy crap, this is amazing where we're at already. And then somebody buys a new Mustang Mach-E and they, they, they immediately start saying, this is terrible. I can't believe it. Like, why aren't there chargers? It, it, this it's going to take a while to get this stuff done. This is a lot of work. It's a lot of infrastructure, not making excuses for people. It, it could have been implemented better. Of course, could electrify America and EV go and charge point. Could they have done a better job? Could the, the stuff be more reliable work better? Well, if, if we didn't have Tesla showing us that it was possible, maybe we would be saying, maybe we can't do this. Maybe it's just not going to work. But then you look at Tesla, you say, no, it works. If you do yeah. it right, it works. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's going to happen. It's just going to, there's going to be a lot of skinned knees. There's going to be a lot of money wasted. There's going to be a lot of equipment put in the ground today that gets ripped out in three years. Uh, this is going to happen, but we'll get there. And by the end, I'm really looking towards the end of this decade for us to say, wow, wasn't it terrible? But look at what we have now. And we can pretty much get anywhere we need to go relatively, I won't say easily, but without too much of a fuss. Right. And I think, I think we'll talk more about this charging situation later. Uh, kind of interesting that uh, Kyle is actually at in New York City for, he's filming a New York Street side charging program today. Pretty neat. 100 flow level two chargers around the city. So I'm guessing he's talking about AC charging. Uh, street side, which yeah. I think, you know, especially in cities, it's uh, kind of an important part of the infrastructure picture mm-hmm. uh, because not everything is about, you know, fast charging, bet- you know, between cities and doing road trips and everything. It's just the day-to-day things for people who don't have garages or driveways to charge in, you know, mm-hmm. th- this is like one of those pieces of a, of a puzzle. So I'm, I'm really curious. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, what uh, Kyle's experiencing today. Um, so, Tom, uh, last week we talked a bit about your video with classic rock bassist extraordinaire, Mr. Pete Bimmery. About He's his, in the uh, comments section right now. Yeah. Hey, Pete. Um, you talked to him about his experience, his ownership experience with his uh, Tesla Model 3. Um, you told us he was going to release a video this week, or you were going to re- release a video this week of a range test that you did with his car. So remind us exactly what year and configuration Model 3 he has and how it held up to a uh, range-wise with 100,000 miles on the clock. Yep. So um, Pete has a 2019 dual-motor long-range uh, Model 3, and he just turned 100,000 miles with it. He drives a lot. Uh, hmm. Pete, you know, as you mentioned, he's a bassist for the the rock band Vanilla Fudge, and he's he has he they go on tour. He drives all over the place with it. He's driven it to Florida. He has a house up in uh, New Hampshire, so he so he drives up there frequently from New Jersey, which is a you know a long drive, four hundred and fifty, four hundred eighty miles, something like that. And uh, so he he puts twenty five thousand miles on it per year, and uh, he he had almost to the day when he had it four years, he turned a uh, hundred thousand miles. So I said, let's. Why don't you come on, stay to charge, and we'll talk about your ownership experience. Pete never owned an EV before, you know, new to electric vehicles, new to all this stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and and Pete's in, let's say, an older segment of the population. He's a little bit, little bit older than I am. And you, you, when, you know, when you think of uh, somebody getting an EV, you know, the, the biggest EV segment now is, you know, lower people, younger seem to be more open to alternative fuel vehicles and so forth. So 
you know, uh, I wanted to hear his, his, how is charging? Is it difficult traveling, you, you know, uh, finding public charging? Do you have to wait long and all this stuff? So um, I brought him on. We did an interview. It was a great interview. And he, he's absolutely, you know, loves it, which I know because I'm, I'm friends with Pete. Uh, but, you know, we talked about his experience. And then at the end, uh, when we were talking about range and everything, I said, you know, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea to do a range test with this now that it has 100,000 miles on it? Could I borrow it? And he was like, yeah, sure. So the next week I took it out and did our regular standard 70 mile an hour range tests that Kyle and I do. Same protocol that we do with a new car and uh, took it up and down the New Jersey Turnpike. And this was EPA range rated at 310 miles when it was new. But if you remember, Tesla has the 18-inch wheels and the 19-inch wheels. Pete has the 19-inch, the sportier wheels, and that shaves a few miles off it. But Tesla didn't distinguish that in their EPA filings. Some automakers give you different uh, EPA range rating depending on which size tire. I think they're allowed to not um, certify individual um tire sizes if they don't make a certain amount of difference. Like if, if there's like a 15 mile range difference, you have to certify it or something like that. I don't know what the exact rules are. So evidently there wasn't that big of a difference, but they definitely would get less than 310 because the 310 would have been certified with the 18 inch aero wheels. Right. Okay. So starting off at 310. So I did the 70 mile an hour range test. Weather conditions were perfect for it and surprising because it's October. It can be cold here. I had a really warm day. It was like 80 degrees. And I went 276 miles. So, yeah, that's the final stats there. 66, I was able to pull 66 kilowatt hour out of battery pack. Now, this battery pack, I think when it was new, if I recall, had 75 or 76 kilowatt hour total capacity. The usable capacity was around 72, 72 and a half, something like that. So here's a four-year-old Tesla with 100,000 miles that only lost about six to seven kilowatt hour of battery capacity. That's awesome. You know, that bodes well for long-term uh, ownership of electric vehicles. Um, and as you can see, the stats there, I averaged 239 watt hour per mile, which is 4.18 mile per kilowatt hour. The, the Model 3s have always been fantastically efficient. That really doesn't change with age. Uh, and, um, you know, it was a, 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 a huge success. And quite honestly, I didn't run it till it stopped. First of all, I didn't want to abuse Pete's battery and drive it till it wouldn't go any further. And also sometimes with the older EVs, the battery state of health reading isn't perfectly correct. It gets a little off as the, as the vehicle ages. So I have heard times where people with the Tesla's, with higher mileage have run out completely. And the battery state of charge has like 1% or 2% battery. So yeah. I didn't want to dip below zero. I did run it till it said zero, but I really think I could have gotten 280 out of this because it was still, um, you know, it really wasn't in a reduced power mode. The, the, okay. the, the, the throttle didn't feel spongy like it feels when you start to get really low. So, you know, I, I bet you I could have got 280 miles out of it. I mean, how, you can't complain about that with a, a four-year-old EV with a hundred thousand miles. So, um, you know, it's doing, doing well. Now Pete took care of his battery. He, he, he kept that, you know, he charges to 80%. He doesn't take it too often below 20%. He slow charged most of the time. Actually he has Tesla fly and recurrent. So he has his battery percentages. 25% of his charging was from superchargers and, uh, 75% was home AC charging. And, uh, he uses the, uh, the, the mobile, uh, charger connector that that came with the car back then. Now you have to pay for it. Uh, and he actually reduced his his uh, power draw to 24 amps. And okay. that still charges them overnight. So he figures sure. hey, it can't hurt. 
uh, to, to, to charge even slower. And, you know, I mean, that all probably added up to um, having him have, uh, you know, his batteries fantastic. Right on. Hey, do you know, do you know offhand, did we, did we do a, a 70 mile an hour range test on this car when it was new? Not this particular car, but just some Model 3 long range? Kyle may have. I didn't. I did okay. with my two, 2019, but it had uh, the 18 inch aero wheels. And right. I did it when the vehicle was a year old with like 17,000 miles. And I went 289 miles. Okay. So, I mean, 13 miles more, you know, but yeah. I had already lost that first year. I mean, the it, it, it's very common that you get some degradation right up front in the beginning, right. which probably happened with my Model 3. And then, uh, you know, and also I, if you want to say abused the battery more than Pete, because I frequently charged it to 100, frequently brought it down to zero. I did range tests and all kinds of stuff. With it. I supercharged a lot. So I might not have taken care of it as well as Pete did, but um you know, it's, 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 it's practically goes as far as a new car and it's got a hundred thousand right. miles on it. So I was hoping that this video would help people that maybe find it on YouTube or somewhere and say, Hey, you know, these batteries do last long. Cause as I'm sure you guys get this all the time, I get it all the time when I'm talking to my friends. Oh yeah. You know, your lightning might be great, but whether you got to replace that battery, and I, right. I'm not going right. to have to replace the battery. It's so like replacing engines though, or yeah. engines, you know, or transmissions, those things are also super expensive, you know, thousands of dollars. Uh, batteries might be a little bit more than that right now, but in a few years, I bet you that price is going to get pretty close to the same. Hey, we got a, a, a super question or something from John Check with a $20 donation, which we thank you very much. For, thank you, John. For the bottom of that. John, you're, you. you're really generous. Uh, so last Tuesday, we had a Magic Doc party in Monticello, Minnesota. About 20 people showed up. Tesla technicians showed up to check some Magic, check out the Magic Doc and wondered what was going on because mm -hmm. so many CCS1 cars had showed up at the Magic Doc. Uh, send pictures to Tom. I'm not sure what that send pictures to Tom part is about, but maybe he, that maybe he meant to type in he sent pictures to me. Okay, I'll I'll check, cool. John. Um, I know John uh, sends me messages on Facebook and okay. uh, maybe even email. I'm not sure, but I'll 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 see where uh, I'll I'll take a look at them. Sometimes I get so many messages, I I don't catch, I can't get caught up. So they're probably in my inbox somewhere. But thank you. I'll check them out. Right. And again, thank you for, for that, that generous donation. That's very helpful, actually. Um, also, Tom, so this week you also got to talk with Rivian VP of Software Development, Wasim Bensaid. I'm not sure if I'm pretty close. Yeah, right. I think Wasim Bensaid is how Wasim I ben pronounce Said. it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I've been known to mispronounce people's <laughs> names. Marquez, what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Marquis. So, so, so I, I understand that you mostly talked about uh, software updates and you're a roofing owner too. You have an R1S now. You previously had an R1T. So that uh, must be pretty interesting to talk to the guy responsible for making your vehicle even better. Uh, so what were the, some of the improvements that you talked about? So, you know, I reached out to uh, Rivian in general about software and said, hey, you know, you guys seem to be, um, you know, kind of on the cutting edge of, of software. I think all the uh, startups are. And uh, I said, I'd love to talk to somebody and maybe interview somebody at the company about, you know, your position on software and OTAs. And uh, they said, oh, absolutely. You know, we can actually provide you with our vice president of software development, uh, Wasim. So I said, that'd be awesome. And uh, we yeah. did an interview. And, you know, what I really, I didn't drill down too much into specifically 
what these latest updates were. We had two big updates in the last um, like four or five weeks. Um, Rivian did end. Uh, the first one was in September, and that was 2023.34.0 cell phone update. And that um, what what that did was it uh, it uh, adjusted the suspension, and uh, it made the vehicle drive better. And that was really what triggered me reaching out to 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 uh, Rivian because I'm like, you know, this isn't something that could be done before, you know, and and um, something like that affected a core element of a vehicle, the drivability. We're not talking about a new driver's display screen or, you know, uh, you know, I, I mentioned in the video, you know, it's, this wasn't just like adding fart mode. And of course I got Tesla, the, you know, the musketeers pounced on me saying like, you know, Oh, you're putting down, you know, Tesla, I'm not putting down Tesla. Tesla has fantastic software and OTA updates. Also, you know, I'm not, I wasn't saying Rivian's doing a better job than Tesla. Um, you know, Tesla's, you know, leading the pack in a lot of ways. Um, but but to 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 have this over the air update make the car drive better was very right. interesting to me. And and that was one right? yeah, suspension. And that was one of the things that I never really loved about my R1S. Um, it had the, the the drive was harsh. It was choppy. And my wife always mentioned that too. And she always mentioned about how, like, when we go on long drives, we drive up to Vermont. She's like, yeah, let's take the Lightning. It's just it's just a better ride. And you know, you wouldn't think that, you know, with the Rivian is more of a premium, you know, luxury vehicle. You would think should like, let's, let's take the Rivian, but now she's now nah, let's take the lightning. And, um, and it was because you felt everything uh, more, all the bumps. So this, th- that software update actually softened the ride, um, uh, you know, fine tuned things with the software and it, it's noticeable. I noticed a difference. So that to me was like, you know, I got, I woke up and now the car drives differently. You know, it's not like my sound system's better or whatever. So that's why I reached out to them. So anyway, now they were pushing out another software update, 2023.38.0, which was an even bigger update. So when I reached out to them, they said, hey, why don't we send you this now and um, ahead of everybody and you can you can play around with it before you talk to Wasim and, you know, that way you'll 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 know what's what's happening. So I got I think Kyle got it, too early um that it's not unusual for the the automakers to um give software updates out to some of the influencers a week earlier so so that they're ready to talk about it when it launches um obviously i couldn't talk about it before they released it last week so but this new software update has a completely reimagined drive mode screen which it's laid out so much nicer now and it has uh a um a Besides that, it also has the towing improvements. There's a trailers tab now that allows you to create three different trailer profiles, and it actually improves the um, uh, the towing capability of the vehicle. I didn't really get into that too much. I didn't have an opportunity to tow anything with it. But uh, we're looking, if you're on Facebook now, you, I mean, uh, YouTube, you, you have the video. You can see on that right side of the screen, you've got um, a bunch of information that you didn't have before. We have the motor temperature which is that circle there where it says 53 and below it, you'll see four other temperatures. That's the the motor temperature for all four motors on the vehicle. So it gives you individual motor temperature as well, as well as your battery temperature. It has um, uh, the, the up, up on the uh, middle on the left-hand side of that is, is your trip gauge, which you can change. It has a tire pressure. 
Uh, it has your elevation, the highest and lowest elevation that you traveled, which you can reset uh, for each trip. Just as a lot of really good information. In the center of the screen, as you turn the steering wheel, you could see the wheels turn and it tells you the degrees that the of, of turn that you're doing. So it, it really made a big uh, usability in, uh, update for me, which I thought was needed. I thought the driver's uh, mode screen was lacking in the original uh, version. So I like that a lot. And plus they also had some, some, uh, they fixed some software bugs and uh, uh, just, uh, Oh, also I forgot in the previous uh, uh, update or no, in this one, they actually reduced the vampire drain. Remember a lot of Rivian owners complain about when the uh, gear guard is on that it drains the battery a lot. Uh, The, the, with this update, the drain is 35% less. Uh, but Wasim also said they're continuing to work on that to make it uh, better and, and, and have even less of a vampire drain while the vehicle is just parked and you have your uh, gear guard uh, sort of like security system monitoring around and recording whenever there's some sort of an issue. So, um, uh, okay. So one of the main things I got out of the video talking to him was how, it was so important for Rivian to develop their own software suite, their software stack in-house. Yeah. Uh, and and that that's very important because, and he gave the example of just the startups uh, screen on the Rivian where, you know, the, the, there's like a display and it comes up and the logo shows up and everything. He's like, that involves like a dozen different vendors. So, if we wanted to make just a tiny little change, we've got to write a work order, send it to the 12 companies. They all have to rewrite their software, make their changes, send it back to us. And then we see if it works and usually doesn't because there's a glitch or compatibility issue with one thing working with another. When you develop your own software stack in-house, which very few companies do, I know Tesla does, Rivian. Um, I talked in the video about how um, Xpeng Motors in, in China, they that's like their proudest thing that we we have our own in-house software stack. We, we write all our own code and all this stuff. So basically it allows the automaker to push out updates much faster, a, a, a tremendously faster. You, you, the existing OEMs that you, that outsource all these components, that's why you don't get once a month or one, twice a month, sometimes software. It's, it's impossible to have so many vendors have all of their stuff done at the same time and then validate it, send it back to you, validate it and approve it and push it out. When you have your team doing it, you can, it's almost limitless how many updates you can, you can push out and how quickly you can push them out. So the whole industry has to go to that eventually. Yeah. They, they have to, you won't be able to compete because more and more the cars are de- uh, defined by software. And they talk about that as um, uh, I think it's S software defined as defined vehicle. So S D V's, um, you know, Wasim didn't like, doesn't like that term, right. but he kind of admitted that that's the direction that we're going in. And whereas not too long ago, your car, the, the software in your car was such a small part of your whole ownership experience. You know, it was, right. you know, th- that was such a small part of it. And just go back five or six years, but now it more and more, it's becoming the, the most important part of the vehicle, which is crazy, but it's true um, yep. with connected vehicles and what software can control and do. So mm-hmm. it was interesting to hear him talk about how that was so important for Rivian to develop their own in-house software stack. And I predict within the next couple of years, every manufacturer, they might all be already working on that, their next generation. I know Ford is, 
and uh, the next generation of, of vehicles will have their own in-house software stack. Um, but they'll be a generation behind the Teslas and the Rivians because, you know, the, the, they'll just be pushing out their first one in 2025, 2026. And these guys will be have, you know, have been doing that for the last you know, Tesla will be more than a decade. So um, and that's why we see all these comments. Legacy has crappy software. And Mark's 100 percent right. Uh, most companies do because it's it's not that they don't want to make it better. It's incredibly difficult because now the software is being asked to to control so many things. And you have so many different vendors that, you know, and I think Wasim explained it properly, how it just you just can't do it that way. It, it just won't work. All right. So that's that was great showing that the. Uh Rivian screen, and I, I got to see that actually with when I was with Kyle a couple of weeks ago. Just so much great information on on the screen, just like motor temperatures and like the legacies haven't really caught on that they need to. Not they don't really need to, but I mean a lot of drivers really appreciate having all that kind of information available to them. You but know, if it's, it's just, not if it's not needed, then just put it on a sub menu. Oh yeah, uh, right, right, for sure. Like there's no. It's like getting to the advanced Wi-Fi settings on your TV. You know, I guess if you just want to connect it and watch Netflix, you can. And I guess if you want to, I don't know, hook it up to something else, it's there. But most people don't dive deep into the menus. But why wouldn't you? If you can provide the data, why wouldn't you? Right, right. right. And, and and to Tom's point, like software is just is one of the main software and batteries and pack battery packaging those are the like the main things these like new startup companies electric vehicle companies really need to get right if they want to make make any progress or survive in this mm -hmm. in this industry it's a tough industry and the differentiation is what it's really all about when you're starting up you need to have something that other people don't have or something that's just significantly better a better experience mm -hmm. or you know lighter vehicle with more range because you have, you know, how to package your batteries better, but I digress. Yeah, no, um, but, but the battery temperature gauge on it is to me, it's one of my pet peeves. And this goes back to when I had my first EV in 2009, the mini E it had right front and center in front of you. It had your battery temperature. And we all knew we had to monitor that because well, first of all, it didn't have a sophisticated thermal management system. It had right. like, it was air cooled and, um, uh, it affected how the car drove. It affected the power you had. It affected how it would charge. And there was no DC fast charging on, on that. It, it affected how fast it would charge on, on AC charging. And that, that like ingrained in my, you know, thought process about how important battery temperature was. And then when BMW came out with the i3, they didn't show you the battery temperature. And I'm like, what the, how could you remove that? Like I've been, that's crazy. It's such an important thing. And, you know, when I talk to other OEMs that don't include it, when I go to these press drives and I'm like, why isn't battery temperature? Well, we're concerned that the customer is going to think there's just give it to us somewhere and put in a sub menu. If, 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 if somebody doesn't want it, they won't look for it, but somebody that wants it can, can read it. And uh, I think sooner or later, they're all going to understand this should be one of the things that is displayed all the time. And, right. uh, you know, it's just, that's a, such a pet peeve of mine. So I'm, I'm glad Rivian added it now. Yes. Uh, it'd be nice if they could make more, more owner configurable, you know, uh, displays, you know, so people can have the information they want to have on the screen. I think, I think there's some people, some companies that do a little bit of that, but it's just something I think we'd like to see more of. Um, but moving on, Martin, you drive anything new this week? Nope. Nope. Really quiet week here. 
Yeah, it's pretty pretty quiet over here for me as well. Nothing new. I've been sitting at home mostly editing video or trying to edit video and learning how to use. Uh, <laughs> I've just entered into the world of Apple and MacBooks and stuff, <laughs> and so it's it's a heavy learning curve for me. Uh, but on the Drive Electric with Dominic channel, I did put up a video of my first leg of my. I had did a thirty eight hundred mile road trip a couple of weeks ago. I got back last week, and um, yeah, the first leg of that is now up. You can it's like from Tallahassee, Florida to New, to New Orleans, and uh, man, it's really cringy for me to watch myself <laughs> on video, uh, especially at the beginning. But I, actually, as this video goes on, I, I'm really happy with like at least the ending. <laughs> I'll, I'll just I'll just say that if you watch it, like watch to the end. It's not very long. It's like ten minutes and something. But anyway, I don't want to spoiler wanna... alert. He made it. <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah I made, I made it there and then the next thing and then all the way back and i was thinking i was gonna spend my weekend you know editing the next one i want to have the next one up you know pretty early in the week but i think it's gonna be have to be tuesday because i have a a show on set tomorrow so i'm gonna be away from my house for a couple of days but anyway sounds like it was a good road trip and we, I, I enjoyed talking to you about it dominic on the you know we posted That's that true. on the respect podcast too and kind of did an overview of how it went, um, like the Teslify, how you use that software, you know, to look back at the trip and really document it. And so it's cool that you, of course, are keeping the data. But yeah, it was a successful trip. Another example that you can go all the way from Florida to Colorado and back in your Tesla or EV mm-hmm. and have a good time and learn along the way. You do learn along the way. It's pretty interesting. And uh, since then, I've been coming back and I've been seeing like different, there's a lot of negative EV articles out there and, and comments and, and things. And people, you know, talk about how just impossible it is to drive, you know, 500 miles. And well, not necessarily. I'm, I'm you know, yeah. but anyway, well, I, that, that, go ahead. I was going to say to that point, I, 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 there's a comment on my uh, Tesla uh, uh, 70 mile an hour highway range test. No, actually the, the other video that I did with Pete and they were asking Pete a question about like, you know, a hundred thousand miles, God, you, you must've spent a lot of, wasted a lot of time charging, you know, like, cause you, you drive a lot of miles. Could you talk about that? You know, I'm, I'm sure people see the comment and reply to it. Um, but that's, that's the perception, Dom, that like, it's so inconvenient to have to drive it and own an EV. Whenever you're going on a long road trip, it's going to like take twice as long. And it's just not the reality. Can it happen on time, time to time? Yes, of course. You could have a problem with a charger somewhere. Some EVs don't charge very quickly, as quickly as Teslas do. So yeah, they're, 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 I'm not saying it's, it's even with gas, but in many instances, particularly for Tesla owners, because they do charge very well and the mm-hmm. supercharger network is so prolific, it's not really much of a difference of a road trip. It takes a little bit longer, but if you stop regularly to use a restroom, to grab a bite to eat, you, you time that when you're going to make your stops. And it's really not that much of a difference, but the perception is so different than the reality. It's, um, I, I think it's, what I found was to, to get over, over like, uh, I think it was like 26 stops or something. My average was 19 minutes per stop. And some of those were, you know, were longer than necessary too, because I, I was like, you know, half a football field away at a restaurant in the, what was it that the hard rock cafe hard rock cafe hotel and casino somewhere in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, like for instance, you know, so, right. So I, I think it could have been like a 17 minute kind of, which is, you know, a great, 
a short piece of time because you don't, yeah. you know, charge up. You only charge up enough to get to the next stop. It's a little bit of a different mindset. We you know when you have a gas car, you just you just fill it up and you don't really think about it. Then you go until it gets kind of lowish, and then you just you know get off on an exit, and there's probably going to be a gas station, and yeah. it's just a little different thing. But then when you stop for that gas, you know, it takes a bit of time too. You're going to be there for probably at least at least ten minutes, more likely fifteen minutes, and possibly twenty. Anyway. Mm-hmm. We can move on to, from so that. So before we jump in, I have a question. I don't know if you have this in your notes at all, but I wanted to ask Francie, does she drive an EV? And, oh, yeah. and what's your favorite EVs? And uh, let, let's want to learn a little bit about what um, what you're driving. What Francie's up to. Yeah. So we've had Teslas in the family with my parents for uh, a while now. So I got to have a few road trips in the Southeast with Teslas um, as long ago as like 2018, which was fun and different um, and could really only go a certain route around then uh, to get certain places. Since then, I don't own an an EV yet, uh, just because of some of the reasons that I've mentioned, not really range anxiety or the infrastructure, but more about that, you know, the the investment of it all, right? I have a car that works, but um, I luckily have been able to drive plenty of EVs. And my favorite, I did a road trip that I've talked about before, but in the Rivian and Kyle's R1T, I went from uh, Denver, Colorado, all the way to the westernmost part of Nevada and and then back again. And it was really fun. I embraced the experience of seeing what it was like to do it. There were some moments where, you know, I was arriving at low percentage, which is the out of spec way. But uh, I wasn't used to like arriving mm-hmm. somewhere where I wasn't sure just how I was going to make it and really learning how the battery drains compared to my experience with just burning gas and how it's very predictable in a way. So uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I did like the stopover points. I usually travel with my dogs. So to get out and stretch your legs and charge for a minute. And the one thing that I didn't really love is that I was mostly charging on EA and a lot of them were at Walmarts. So they were off of the highway, like not just right off the highway. They were miles off the highway. And then I was in a Walmart parking lot. And technically Walmart has amenities, but not really. They, uh, you know, so I'm really looking forward to more initiatives like the EVgo Tesla or no, excuse me, pilot flying J um, mm-hmm. and uh, that that initiative where it's like a truck stop, because those are the things that people are going to be spending their time at. You can step out. Maybe there's a dog park. There's an awning. There's lights. It's safer. And uh, in general, I think a heightened experience. So looking forward to that. And um, yeah, looking forward to my first EV of my own. I think we should have you as a special guest on uh, on, an, on an episode of Battery Bargains, where we try to match real people like yourself with the perfect electric vehicle for their situation. Battery bargain. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that we have an actual, we have an episode coming out on on Monday, I, I believe, as well of that our second episode. Um, so what was that the email address? Again, people actually, if people want to, you know, are shopping for a car, uh, electric vehicle. They can drop us a line at is it battery bargains at inside EVs? Uh, <laughs> what no, is it? It's not that. that. I'll tell oh, you that. Just a, uh, uh, the uh, it was uh, if you want to use battery bargains, uh, no, don't do that. I've not set no, it but, up yet, and we're but, live because uh, we're talking about getting it done for Monday. Uh, use uh, batteries included podcast at gmail.com uh, for now, but we can because we have our own website in the URL uh, batteries included podcast.com, uh, so we can have an email address there, uh, which might be nicer, I suppose. But for now, yeah, batteries included podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want any buying advice, 
and uh, we'll try and help you out with some ideas. It's it's a really it's a really fun show. Yeah, I enjoy it, and it's going to get a little better. I think uh, sometimes we get a little carried away, but it's, <laughs> we're, we're going to get more, <laughs> more focused. So probably get maybe maybe we get three cases per episode now. Um, but anyway, moving on, let's talk about some news because it's been a it's not a big product news kind of week, but there's a lot of you know little bits we can talk about here. Uh, so arguably. One of the biggest stories of the week has to be Toyota adopting the Tesla North American Charging Standard, or NAX. Uh, Toyota is the second biggest automaker in the world at the moment, and it's kind of a big deal when they do anything, really. And they switch places uh, first and second with Volkswagen Group, you know, a bit. So this agreement means that Toyota and Lexus electric vehicles will be able to charge at Tesla supercharger stations beginning in 2025 which is about a year later than the other OEMs that have adopted the standard. Hopefully by then they'll also have some product worth buying. Uh, oops, did I say that out loud? <laughs> uh, anyway, Toyota says it will incorporate the NAX ports into certain Toyota and Lexus BEVs starting in 2025, including the all-new three-row battery electric Toyota SUV that will be assembled at Toyota Motor Manufacturing Kentucky. So additionally... Customers owning or leasing applicable Toyota and Lexus vehicles equipped with the combined charging system, or CCS, will be offered access to an adapter to enable NAX charging stations starting in 2025. So this is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, definitely uh, interesting. So I have, you have the... Frenchie, mm-hmm. let me just set this up for just a little bit for you, because I have a specific question for you. So you have a lot of familiarity with uh, CCS charging networks. Uh, what do you think that has to do to compete in a world that's basically ruled by the supercharger network? Great question. Um, of course, yeah, this is big news from Toyota. Some people are saying, you know, why announce it if they don't have a huge line of BEVs coming up? But, um, you know, they do have a lot of news in terms of like battery supply chains and how they're going to be manufacturing batteries in North America and manufacturing their next battery electric vehicle in Kentucky, like you said. And in terms of the existing CCS public network operators and moving into the world of NACs, I think it's kind of a bit of, of course, accepting fate. Uh, I think perhaps it was a, a, a surprise. You know, I did work at EVgo and I was there when a lot of this news started coming in and it was like, OK, well, Let's go. And um, luckily, they're so innovative. There's amazing teams behind it, but they really have to sell the value of what they already do, I think, and what strengths they have and the footprint that they have in the industry, but also embrace the technology as it's coming to, again, you know, not only help the customer experience be great, but the perception of the company. Because if you're working with these automakers in one way or another and they're going next, then you're just having to find that, you know, the smooth transition, whatever it is. But again, it's kind of a, a bummer that a lot of it is retrofitting, you know, or we have this existing infrastructure and then what's all the work and money that's going to go into either, I don't know, like either retrofitting or everything coming new. I don't know the exact plans, you know, having knacks at some point. So I think it is definitely making sure that they can communicate their competitive advantage as it stands and their, how their experience really is a huge part of this. Of course, this is a, a just a fledgling of an industry, but there are folks like uh, ChargePoint operators that have been around for around a decade or more yep. and uh, really leveraging that and their experience. Because, you know, from what I know, they even 
help to educate or inform states and local governments and you know, probably some federal government stuff on what they know about charging infrastructure and building it out, working with utilities and everything to make it really effective. So really leaning into those strengths, I'd say it's it's definitely a challenge, I'm sure. Right on. Um, Tom, what, what do you think this Toyota deal is such a is a, is a big deal and when they only have like a, a, a couple of EVs that sell in low numbers? It's not a big deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the, it, you know, we've said, said this before, maybe me more vocally than others. It's over. Everybody's switching. You know, the, it's the, nobody is going to be able to hold out. So every week when we have a new, uh, we announce a, another brand joined, it's great to see that they're, you know, finally got everybody on board to make this announcement, but they've all already decided that they're going to do it. It's just a matter of when are they going to make the announcement? Um, you know, they're, they'll, you know, uh, we, we, we know where, what Toyota is all about right now. They're all about hybrids. They understand the future's electric, but they're going to, they're going to milk that hybrid cow as long as they can. Uh, and, and then they'll, they'll pivot. And I think that they'll, I, I think that they'll end up making a decent electric. I still have confidence that Toyota can build really good electric vehicles, even though what they've given us so far doesn't prove that. Uh, I still, you know, believe that they'll make a hell of a car when they really give it the right budget and put the right engineers on it. Um, but th they're still in hybrid mode. And this announcement to me isn't anything because it's, of course, they were going to switch. They had to. It, 2025 even. Why, why not? Just, well, that's when everybody is, is, is saying 2024. No, 2024. Well, Right. Uh, well, that's when they said they're going to start putting the ports on the cars. Uh, um, why bother? Uh, the other automakers are going to have, they're all saying they're going to have, you know, native ports in 2025. Right, but that right. at some point in 2024, whether it's first quarter, second quarter, that's still a little murky. Um, right. They're going to have access. Okay. How many electric vehicles does Toyota and Lexus have on the road? Mm, why bother even dozens yeah at that. least hundreds of them <laughs> right. why, why, why even bother doing that you know what why, why there's no it's like for, for, for their 500 customers you know we're, we're we're gonna certify an adapter just do it all in 2025 because we're not gonna have we're gonna have a few thousand evs on the road before then it's almost it's not worth the paperwork to to join the year earlier for and and then do it they'll do it all at once in 2025 um but you know, any of the OEMs that have a significant amount of vehicles on the road, I'll, I would be literally shocked if by the time the supercharger network opens up to for use with an adapter, which from what I'm hearing, it's going to be somewhere towards the end of Q1 of 2024. Everyone is going to be joined on and, and have their vehicles authorized with an adapter. That's what I believe, at least. So we'll see. Right. We, we saw BMW joined last week. I think we talked about it a little bit last week, BMW. Yeah. So who, who's left? Is the Volkswagen group, basically? Volkswagen, yeah. Is, 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 is that it? And Stellantis, yeah. Oh, Stellantis, right. Takes but Stellantis money. doesn't have any EVs on the road either here in the U.S. Right. So in the U.S., yeah. Yeah, so, right. you know, there's there's no rush for them to, to make the announcement, you know? And it's basically a U.S. issue too, right? Because in Europe, everyone uses the CCS standard, mm -hmm. uh, Tesla and all the other networks, and they don't have... Yeah, things seem to go a lot easier, better with the whole charging situation in Europe anyway. So it's really a U.S. problem. 
Um, yeah. So I don't know if we want to talk any more about that right now. Martin, did you want to say anything about Toyota? Well, we go. Uh, Toyota <laughs> need to do like Toyota needs to do one thing, and they've clearly got a contact with Tesla because they've worked with Tesla before, engineering that's partnerships. Uh, and uh, they need to do one thing, and that's pick up the phone to Elon Musk and license their batteries and services immediately. And Toyota can come with a compelling product quickly because that's what Tesla's good at. So te- the Cybertruck is delayed, and uh, mm-hmm. you know they're all sorts of problems with with bringing new vehicles to market. We'll get onto that maybe if we have time today. But what's Tesla really good at? Look at what they did massively in the last quarter, rolling out stationary storage, their, their own cells, their own uh, energy, and all that kind of thing. I still don't think that the, the big prize for Tesla is as a car company. The big prize for Tesla, because the automotive industry is big, but the energy industry is bigger by multiples. And that's where the reward is if you want to control the world's energy. And so if I were Toyota, I'd pick up the phone today and license Tesla's batteries, powertrains, software and services, get it done. In a year's time, you can have incredible EVs on the road. Toyota are great at making things. Right. Um, they're just terrible at making EVs. Well, they're good at making the RAV4 Prime, but then said, we don't want to ship too many of them to North America in case we sell them. And then they went, oh, but guess what? We've got the BZ4X. And you can have one of those. Oh, no, thanks. It's terrible. It won't charge more than however many times in 24 hours if you try and go on a road trip. So that's the thing that Toyota should be doing immediately under their new management is licensing Tesla's technology. Get it in your cars. Tesla can provide it. Great revenue stream for them. All the car makers should be talking to Tesla about how much of your software can we integrate? Because we saw that I I mentioned it in the news intro this week as well about um, uh, the new software update. We'll tell you the wait times at the superchargers. They work out how many Tesla drivers are navigating to a a charger, how long the car says you should stop there. And of course, you might say, oh, the car wants me to do a 16-minute stop, but I'm going to hang out longer and go to 100%. You could ignore the car, but Mm -hmm. they they can start to learn that from that, uh, but it doesn't work if everyone else is using different software to use to, to piggyback on superchargers. It kind of works, but it spoils the party. So uh, Toyota should be integrating as much of Tesla's technology as possible. Um, and then they'll get a great EV on the road really, really, really quickly, but they won't because well, they're too proud. Well, going back to the well, conversation earlier about Rivian software, I think the same thing with, with Toyota, just automakers themselves. I really think it's part of their core business now has to be them developing their own software. So, I mean... Oh, it, but they, I don't know, they've been so good at putting cars together for 100 years. Sure, right. That they don't, that these companies can't admit that what they would, they need to blow themselves up to win. They can't... Mm-hmm, true. Uh, a great, a great example. I love this example. Is that when Blockbuster owned everything and uh, Netflix was uh, not doing late fees, and and everybody hates. Remember, we go to the video store and you get lectured. Did you rewind the video? And I'm like, no, nah, I didn't rewind it. Don't lecture me. The what? What's even worse is getting a fine because you took your video back. Sorry, young people. This is an old person's conversation. I was going to say, Francie doesn't know what you're talking about. I grew up in Blockbuster, for sure. Right? Oh. So then getting fined, getting fined for you know, your, late, your late video returns. And they had the option of being like Netflix and not fining people. But they made $800 million a year on late fines. So why would they blow up their business and go, we've got this new young competitor called Netflix and they don't do late fines and they've got this big warehouse, they send out DVDs and return them when you want. Yeah, but then again, we're blowing up $800 million. So no, let's keep fining people. 
And then where's, where's your bankruptcy now? Uh, blockbuster and where's Netflix like the biggest movie studio in the world and that's exactly analogous to the car industry like why would you why would you blow up your if you're if you're Toyota and you've got these hybrids singing and dancing why are you going to blow up your hybrid line but that's exactly what they need to do but they won't UM Tiger 311 reminds us that blockbusters still exist in Bend Oregon I believe they have one store but of course everybody has Netflix has like hundreds of millions of customers or or dozens of millions. I don't know what the numbers are, really. But Yeah, they started streaming before streaming was a thing. Like, when it was really, really hard to do it, and nobody could really do it. And uh, But they were like, this is the future. This is what we've got to do to blow up our business, and, and this is where we're going to go. And that's exactly what we talked about software. The likes of Tesla and Rivian and others can do if they, if they want to. But I wouldn't want to be sitting around a board table at Blockbuster saying, let me just draw a big red line through 800 million. But that's what they needed to do. And I'm not saying it's easy for the boards of Toyota, etc., to do this. I'm not being flippant and saying, oh, I can't believe they haven't thought about it. I would hate to make that decision. But they need to realize they're terrible at making electric vehicles. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, jam tomorrow, jam tomorrow. Hydrogen is going to be great. Just go to Tesla, pick up the phone to Elon Musk, license their technology, and get on with it. Because Tesla are doing it best. Okay. And, and uh, one sec, Dom, let me, let me just talk. David Oliver um, made a comment about maybe we're missing a point here on plug-in hybrids, have a suitable space in the market and Toyota can be uh, correct there. I don't disagree with that. I think for the immediate future, at least plug-in hybrids will play a, a, a decent role, a good plug-in hybrid um, that has decent range because there's a lot of people that are just not willing to go to EV, even though mm-hmm. they could. Uh, they're just not willing. And, um, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit. We're resistant to change. And the, the plug-in hybrids are like training wheels for, for fully electric vehicles. So I do think that there's going to be a, that we're in that period now where for a lot of people, plug-in hybrids make more sense. But don't forget, 99, 95% of what Toyota sells aren't plug-in hybrids. They're just hybrids. And right. that, in my opinion, technology needs to need, needs to be be phased out if they want to go to plug in hybrids for a while and until they feel like the market's mature enough for, to go full electric, then that's fine, t- totally fine. But they should at least be putting out one or two. Like we're we're talking, they're the largest automaker in the world. They bounce back and forth between Volkswagen and Toyota for the most sold vehicles in the world. They should have one or two decent electric choices, and they just don't. They're, they're, they're fully electric vehicles are garbage. I, I hate to say it. They are. They're, they're, it's rubbish uh, compared to what, what um, is available on the market. So, and, and for, for Toyota to put out vehicles like that, it's, it's embarrassing that their EVs are that bad. And it, right. it just shows you that they, di- they didn't want to make a good electric car, you know, and, and that's the disappointing part of it. But I don't disagree with you that for at least a, a, the next five, six, seven, eight years or so in, 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 until 2031, 2032, plug-in hybrids are going to play a role in, in adoption 100%. Um, but it's just a shame that they're, they're such an anti-BEV stance is just, it turns people off. Well, there's been a lot of changes at Toyota over the last year uh, with the upper leadership. And I, I think they've, re- I think they've, I think they're getting the message. And, but next week I think is like the uh, sort of a, a big, initial test to see what where they're sort of aiming for in the near future. So next week is the uh, Japanese mobility show. I think they're calling it. It's basically the Tokyo Motor Show. They do it once every other year. And sadly, I won't be there 
this year. Zanenesne. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you should be. Man, you should be. Oh, man. Oh, I want to go. <laughs> Ikitai. Ikitai. I want to go. Um, but um, anyway, I'll stop showing off here with that. But uh, yeah, my so wife, next week, my, we, my we're going to see our concepts. A, uh, my wife is using a screen name on the comments today, by the look of it. Stop calling yourself Keith. All right? Because <laughs> that's what she normally tells me most of the time. You're so wrong. Uh, I'll, ha- I'll happily be proven uh, wrong if it means we can get more great EVs on the yeah. road. Well, we'll see. Next, what kind of, they'll have some, they'll have some uh, concepts at least. I know they have... Oh, uh, God. Con- there's four Lexus know, concepts but- coming in Japan as well. The, is it the <laughs> LF? There's four LFs. I mean, but actually, Keith, I'd love to know why you think I'm wrong because uh, ha- I happily be wrong if it means the Toyota are going to bring, you know, great EVs. But, oh, God, I read that, that you know, they've, they've patented four, Lexus have patented four uh, LF. I think, is it LF names? Um, LF something, something. And I was like, ooh, like, oh, no, that's what they use for concepts, isn't it? Oh, great, four concepts. Come on, Lexus. Oh, I, I think LF is a sports car, isn't it? They have is it? Oh, what is it that they... It's been a while. Like, where's Kyle LZ? when you need him? Uh, no, he would know. This. He would know. Um, but, um, but yes, yeah, so, oh, God. I sort of wade through four more concepts from Lexus, Toyota, and try and wheedle out anything interesting uh, from it. And it wouldn't be so bad if they're going to bring them to the market. Like, we see the concepts from Hyundai Kia. Uh, when the Arnic 5 was first shown off, we're like, oh, that's cool, but it won't look like it. And they went and made it. Now, if they're going to go do that, then that's great, but they probably won't. Yeah, they, uh, uh, they have the, what is that? The C, they have a, well, LC, that's what they have. Anyway, um, right. So let's move on. Let's talk about some electric trucks. So, General Motors announced that it has, it has pushed back the launch of electric pickup production at its Orion factory until late 2025. It was supposed to begin production there in the first quarter of 2025. So it's like, a, I don't know, 9 to 12 months sort of kind of delay uh, for production there. GM says that has nothing to do with the ongoing UAW strike and that the move is meant to better manage capital investment while aligning with uh, evolving EV demand. Uh, it's also said that in addition, we have identified engineering improvements that we will implement to increase the profitability of our products. That part kind of makes me wonder if that's actually like the main reason, but I'll, I'll digress for now. Uh, this does not mean that GM is not making electric trucks for the next two years. That's already happening at its factory zero Detroit Hamtramck. It's building the Chevy, Chevy Silverado EV right now, along with the uh, GMC Hummer EV pickup and SUV. So factory zero is expected to add a second shift in 2024 when it starts, uh, well, start building the Sierra, the GMC Sierra EV as well, which is basically the GMC version of the Silverado EV, uh, very similar vehicles. But of course, the numbers of of electric vehicles GM is producing is pretty small. Uh, Since October of 2021 uh, to the 1st of September, 2023, it's only built like 16,088 around there of the uh, uh, pickup trucks and Hummer EVs, Hummer EVs mostly. So, and right now they're doing about 2,500 a month or so of, of the Hummers. And that's expected to maybe increase just a little bit more, but yeah. And they have a big backlog. So Tom, is the Silverado EV even being delivered yet to commercial fleets? I was under the impression that it was supposed to be out there by now and that the RST for regular retail customers would be coming out 
you know, fall of 2023 was the plan earlier in the year. But and I but I looked on like cars.com and I could only find like a few new new one new like Silverado EV coming. But they were coming to dealerships and not they weren't they didn't have like actual photographs of, of the pickup trucks. They had like the, the, just the press image. So yeah, they're shipping. We, we've seen pictures of it. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen any videos or any pictures of like customer picking it up, but they are shipping. I would imagine at this point, there's probably some in the hands of, of uh, businesses because they're going out to the fleet customers first. Um, so I, I, I haven't seen any proof of that, but I would imagine that's happening because we've been seeing video of them, videos and pictures of them shipping to dealerships. So they're not just going to sit on dealer lots. Um, but this news that they're, you know, cutting the back of production is um, it's really, you know, sad to hear, uh, you know, GM, they, they have some sort of an issue with Ultium uh, cells or the, or, or the, the powertrains because it, it just doesn't make sense why they're, it's taking them so long to get these vehicles out. The Lyric, they're not, they're way behind production for the, the Hummers, uh, the both version of the Hummers, the Lyric is, is being made in very small numbers. Now this is being delayed. You know, we've heard uh, about issues with, with the other vehicles getting pushed back. So I don't know what's going on, but it's unfortunate because Ultium seemed like it had so much promise that, you know, they were developing this, this new platform that it was going to be by 2023, 2024. This was a few years ago when they first announced it, you know, they were going to be rolling out tens of thousands a month of, of electric vehicles and they're, they're still just trickling out. And it's hard to know for sure if the UAW strike isn't part of them saying they're, they're, they're pushing back um, the production uh, all the automakers, when anything happens during a, such a severe strike like this, and they their knee jerk reaction is this: this doesn't have anything to do with the strike. You, you can't believe that, you know, because right. there's a lot of posturing and positioning, and uh, you know, it wouldn't be surprised if uh, the strike gets settled next week, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, GM announces they're going to read, they're, they're going to go ahead with with you know pushing forward with with uh, Silverado production at Orion. I, I don't think that's going to be a case, but. It wouldn't surprise me if it was. So, it yes, it's, it's it's disturbing that they just can't seem to get Ultium battery vehicles out in any type of severe numbers. It's, yeah, I it's, think that's that. That was that at the minute. That's what crystallizing my thoughts is that they've managed to sort out an entire Bolt recall and source enough batteries for the best year yet of the Bolt sales and the EUV. Um, and yet, it's it's it is slow with Altium. Um, but yeah, I believe they offered those workers uh, 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 other opportunities to move factory. And so the union workers, at least, so they were offered uh, jobs at uh, their, is it called the Detroit Hamtramck? Uh, Hamtramck, so, yeah. So, you know, they've, uh, it sounds like they've done the right thing there. And it is just a, de- it is just a delay mm-hmm. um, right. of, of increasing production. And it seems like in a week when... Tesla's shareholder letter said, oh, Shanghai's at a million. We're pretty happy with that. Berlin will ramp pretty slowly. Texas is going to ramp pretty slowly. Mexico, we're pressing pause on because of interest rates and other things as well. So Mexico will happen at some point. But, um, you know, Mr. Musk and also in the shareholder letter were very non-committal about Mexico, by the way. And right. um, I said, oh, That's yeah, it'll, it, it, it'll happen. 
but you know, nah, you know, they, it was fascinating to hear. And um, uh, but you know, you can't use the word cancelled or postponed. But there was very little enthusiasm. Um, I think that took a little bit of the wind out of people's sails with the growth story around Tesla. But I just think it's indicative of this is where supply and demand is at the moment. And people mm-hmm. forget really quickly. We were waiting 12 months. You know, I know, Francis, you're looking to get your first EV. If you were going to get a new EV a short few years ago, you'd have been waiting 18 months or at least a year. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, the 2021-2022 market, is, it's not that market anymore. EV sales are actually pretty soft. I, I, I hate to say that, but from looking all around, like it really looks like it's actually pretty soft with, with, with inflation and interest rates. But it's mm-hmm. not just that. I'm, I think there's a lot of disinformation out there as mm-hmm. well. It's There's a lot of, I don't know, Francie, do you have any insight into why you think people are like, the demand seems to be lightning? Um, I think for all the reasons kind of we know. Uh, of course, there's the 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 narrative out there about the EVs, you know, it's and it, it truly is up and down. There's a lot of good and bad news. Uh, the price points are high and it is disappointing to see this from GM because they've been such a strong advocate for EVs and they've invested a lot into the public EV infrastructure that exists and will continue to exist. So hopefully we can see them come back. But like you all said, it's hard not to imagine that the strikes and the general unrest that they're going through doesn't make their leadership pause and reassess like sales aren't going through the roof production isn't going mm-hmm. through the roof we have these issues with our you know labor team that we need to figure out let's just crank it back a little bit and be careful especially when this is just such an up and down space i see the conservative approach but of course yeah we'd like to see them coming out with these evs that we've been waiting for yeah i mean more, this- more choice is great but there's plenty of stock sitting around at the minute isn't there yeah yeah, and this could have been a bargaining chip too with GM. GM could have given yeah, the, so. the union this, you know, and so okay, we'll, we'll we'll kick this down the road a little bit. We'll 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 you know keep your people, uh, uh, your members employed where they are now because that's gonna that's going to reduce workforce once that plant is up and rolling. The the amount of workers per vehicle manufactured goes down the more EVs that get introduced, and um, it's possible that that was a a little bargaining chip and said, Oh, you know, yeah. how about this? We'll, we'll, we'll push Orion down the road for a year and we'll keep the members working where they are now or whatever. I, we, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but whatever news comes out during such intense labor sh- negotiations, like we're having now, we, we don't know the full story of what was going on when they made that decision from any of these companies right now. But what a shame they can't keep their factory open and make more bolts and EUVs. And I get that, you know, you are asking suppliers two years more in advance. They've already extended it once. And I'm aware that, you you know, in October, you can't call all of your suppliers and go, hey, let's leave the factory open and make some more bolts. I know. I know you can't do that. But but go with me on this thought for a while. What a shame they can't carry on making the bolt and the EUV. Mm -hmm. Killed at the end of December. Uh, The final ones are just being rolling off the line now. What a shame that vehicle's not continuing because it sells so well. It's such a great price. Great little EV. And people want them. What a shame. shame. The city of Tallahassee, where I live, they have a whole fleet of bolts, so I see them around town all the time. It's just great little cars. I love them. Um, I I love mine. That's true. You I've, have I've a had bolt. it for a couple of months now. That's, yeah, that's right. Are you, ever, are you driving it? Meredith drives it more than I do. Okay. Yeah. All right. She takes it into the city. Yeah. Does she yeah. get parking? It's great, for it? great runaround car. It's an absolutely yeah. great runaround car. 
Yeah. I got to do a video on that one of these days. I still haven't done <laughs> one video on the bolt. I've owned it for like three months. So. Oh, you're slacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So speaking of electric pickup trucks, production. I, 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 that's a good point here. Nebula says bolt will oh. continue. We'll see it again in two years. Okay. So, so we, need, we, need well, well, we knew that. Well, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know the two years thing because if correct me, if, if there's been a. Yeah, I haven't heard about timing yet. As uh, I'm aware that, and you know, Nebula knows infinitely more about this than uh, the finger very much on the pulse but um uh yeah i remember from the announcement it was like yeah bolt will continue with ultium technology date tbc so to put two years on it i guess gives us a window um i don't i don't doubt that you know what you're talking about there way more than i do with uh you know with this particular car maker right that's 2025 that's yeah seems right i mean it seems right Right, yeah. everything's yeah. happening in 2025. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Bolt, I mean, Nebula 1707, or one that's actually Mary Barry's alt. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if Mary watched this show. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Mary. <laughs> Sorry about all the mean things I've said about GM over the years. Yeah, but it, I mean, <laughs> it, it is kind of, I don't know, this this whole GM thing is, because I was really pro-GM, like uh, people who've been watching our, our podcast for a while know I'm all on, all in with this Ultium situation. Uh, cause that's, all in is like GM's little tagline for their electric uh, uh, press, whatever. Uh, yeah. And it's just disappointing that it's just not coming together like in my mind I was like, okay this, they're just going to roll it out and it's going to be like a the success and you know instead it's like things are slow there's problems here and there there's anyway hopefully it all you know gets fixed and and uh things look much better well well i don't know it's i don't know it's a competitive world out there i think they really need to uh take stock of where they're at and maybe make some some changes up, upper management because this is not success um anyway speaking of electric pickup trucks production of the ford f-150 lightning has been cut back as well so ford has cut a shift at its uh, rouge electric vehicle center where it builds the ford f-150 lightning ford says it's not due to the uaw strike it says uh, but rather low sales it's, it's only moved about 3,500 uh, 3, units between July and September, which is disappointing and also mysterious because they're supposedly sitting on like a couple hundred thousand reservations. So I'm not sure what's up with that. Some dealers have been reporting sizable amounts of cancellations, though, due to price. So, Tom, you're a Lightning owner and have pretty good insight into this situation. Uh, is it just too expensive now compared to a similarly equipped F-150? So... You know, the base MSRP still costs more than a similarly equipped uh, combustion uh, F-150. Okay. Um, but if the dealers were able to better communicate the total cost of ownership, uh, it would be a much better sell. Uh, you know, they the, we still are at a point where the dealers really can't help out with giving TCO, total cost of ownership numbers. And it's one of the things I used to focus on when I did my dealer training was, was you know, tell the, tell the salesperson you have to first, if somebody comes in and interested in F-150, you should talk about all your product. You should find the right truck for that vehicle. Somebody might come in and they're, they're, they want this F-150. 
and you sell them that phone paper, but say, but do you know, we also have this version of it. We have this version of it. We have, try to find the right version. And, and in that conversation should include, and we do have the electric one. Now, some people are going to say, I don't even want to hear about that. No, I'm not interested. Fine. Move on. Don't try to sell them something they're not interested in. But there's probably a good amount of people that might consider it if they if they understood what the total cost of ownership was going to be. Now, you look at the MSRP and so oh, it's $8,000 more or whatever. Line it up. You have to talk about your state incentives, your federal incentive. And then you have to talk about ownership, cost of ownership. And every salesperson should know what it costs to own the vehicle. They should have total cost of ownership figures. They currently don't for even their combustion vehicles. But if I know if I wanted to be an effective salesperson, I'd be able to 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 tell people this. Simply, when I used to do my dealership training, I used to go into a Ford dealer and say, how, you know, how, how much is gas, how much does it cost to fill uh, one of these F-150s up with diesel? And I say, well, it's, you know, 27 gallon tank. Diesel is $4 a gallon right now. So it's like $118 or whatever. I say, okay, great. You know, how much it costs to charge that lightning? And nobody could answer it. I don't think I ever had a single salesperson. And I'd look at them and say, shame on you. You can't tell your customer how much it costs to fuel the vehicle you're trying to sell them. Right. How do you expect them to buy this? So, yeah. and that's just one part of it, part of it. And then the total cost of ownership includes maintenance. You know, and the, if, if the, the, if the salesperson just says, look, I'll sell you any version you want, but just hear me out. This is going to cost you, you pay 15 cents a kilowatt hour at home. You drive 15,000 miles a year. This is going to cost you about $1,200 a year to, to, to fuel. And, and, and this F-150 is going to cost you maybe $6,000 a year to fuel it with diesel. So, uh, yeah, you got $5,000 savings in one year. I, I I might be wrong on the numbers. It might be about 3,500 a year for the truck. So let's say it was $8,000 more in three years, you're above water on fuel alone. And and then you talk about maintenance and how many oil changes you're going to have over the course of the next three years. There are, you know, whatever, uh, how much per oil change and tune-ups and all this stuff. So it's difficult if you can't communicate total cost of ownership. If you just go MSRP to MSRP, it's right. going to be very difficult to sell. So I really think that's a big part of why lightning sales are are softening now because you got the initial wave of people that couldn't wait to get the truck. And now you got to sell them to somebody who is indifferent. They just right. want to find the right truck for them. And the salespeople cannot communicate the virtues of electric. The easiest thing for a salesperson to do is go, <laughs> you don't want that. Here, uh, I got 20 of these over here. Pick the color you want. The two electric ones, uh, you got to put a plug. You gotta, that, and that's happening. So right. if, if Ford doesn't correct this, if the other OEMs don't correct this, they're going to have trouble. Uh, and it's going to be a more painful transition than what they need to. And I have literally said this to management in just about every automaker and said, you could build the best damn car in the world. If your sales team cannot communicate the value of driving electric, you're screwed. You're not going to sell them. So I, we're at that point now. Very few automakers have done anything to really help the, the dealers better sell these vehicles. GM, I'm giving them credit. They created that EV Live. It's a fantastic uh, tool to help people understand electric. Anybody that wants an EV, even a non-GM EV, can right. dial into GM's EV Live site, 
you'll have a live person with an iPad walking around answering your charging questions, your fueling questions, your battery life questions, all that stuff. So um, I, 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 I think it's unfortunate. As somebody, um, uh, Michael just said the Ford dealer, uh, the Ford dealer has, has a, the Ford dealer, me, has an EV salesperson, I guess, near me. And yes, uh, some of the dealers have one person who's like the the EV specialist. And Nissan used to have this for the Leaf. I I loathe that model right. because right. that person might be on his lunch break. That person is off two days yeah. a week. That person might be assisting another customer. That person doesn't only do EVs because he'd be sitting around all day. So if somebody comes in and is is uh, a customer is buying a gas car and then somebody comes in for the EV, Mike's not going to say, okay, wait, wait here for a second. I got to talk to this person over here. The whole staff has to do it. This I'm going to have an EV expert in the sales room, in the sales department does not work. And, yeah. and they need to stop implementing it because that's what a lot of the OEMs are doing. They're having one trained EV salesperson. It's BS. It doesn't work. No, they right. need EV 101 across the board. You know, multiple classes really get everyone trained. I agree, Tom, because also there's regulation coming in that new new car sales are going to have to be EV. So what folks walk in and then they if they want a new car, they're just going to have to pick an EV and then we're going to have the dealers educated on it. It's like. Yeah, the OEMs definitely need to invest in dealer dealer information education to really proliferate this information. It's also a cool conversation to be a part of. And totally, it's also a part of the competitive landscape. You know, if you're offering ICE and you're offering EV or not, just to have people who are informed and can also inform the public, which we've emphasized is really important, uh, is obviously yeah, really significant and just a total miss that I don't, I can't understand. I really don't understand it. Is, is part of the problem marketing? Is there like a, I don't know what's going on there, like in the world. In the, in the past, you know, we'd have like TV commercials. I don't know if anyone watches TV anymore. So I don't, I don't know if that approach even works. Um, I mean, I don't watch TV. I don't, what, what do you guys, is, do you guys see marketing out there? Like the, it's introduce, you know, the, just the average everyday consumer to electric vehicles and like as a very positive concept, like something that's really making, a compelling argument for people, to, you know, people will have to want to desire something that you can't yes. really tell them, oh, you have to buy an, an electric vehicle because that, that approach does not work. You know, people hate being told what to do. Right. So people have to, you know, really want that. So this is, I don't know, is this happening? Not well, that I know, see. I mean, I think people really have to seek it out themselves for the most part, but sorry to interrupt, Tom, go ahead. No, no, no. I, 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 I agree with what you said, Francie, a hundred percent. I just, um, Tom, a lot of people go to the dealership and they don't know what they want. True, true, true. A lot of people show, uh, I mean, I know that might be surprising to a lot of people that, you know, get laser focused, do their research and they go and they just buy what they want. But honestly, a lot of people really don't know what they want. They show up to the dealer, they go to their local Ford dealer because that's where they got all their cars, you know, for mm -hmm. the last 20 years. And they walk, the, hmm, what, what do we have here? You know, we're all in tune with the auto industry. We know all the models, whatever's going on. A lot of people don't. And, sure. and. The, the, a lot of those people would be just fine with an EV if if they say, if the sales force could properly explain, you know, how it works, how much you would save, what the benefits are, what the negatives are, because th there are negatives. You know, they have to ask them some questions about do you travel long distance frequently? You know, do you have, what, what you know, plenty of people go on like 
uh, uh, drive more than 300 miles like once a year. <laughs> so, you know, they, th those people would, many of those people would be, would be great for that. But so many people just show up and are like, okay, it's time for the new car, whether they're selling their car or their lease is up. And, and they, we have to be able to communicate better to these people. I know I've been saying it for the last 10 minutes, but it's so true and it's so important. And EV sales will lag until that ex buying experience improves. Right. So I just to move it, we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted to jump and talk just a little bit about the Cybertruck and Tesla. The, the delivery event for Tesla Cybertruck is now scheduled for November 30th at the company's Gigafactory in Austin, Texas. So um, they, they claim that to, uh, to have already deployed production capacity for 125,000 trucks per year. And I believe they expect to have much more than that in the future. I think I saw 250,000 is what they went to, once we're ramped up, they will have like 250,000 worth of production capacity there in Austin. Uh, on Tesla's Q3 earnings call Wednesday, CEO Elon Musk said that he wanted to temper expectations, though. So the ramp up for Cybertruck will be extremely difficult, he says. So Te Musk says Tesla is targeting, right, here it is, a quarter million to 250,000 Cybertrucks per year in the future. But that won't happen until after 2024, so after next year, and confirmed that more than 1 million people have reserved the truck. So they have a ton of reservations and uh, even at you know once they get scaled up, it would take at least a, four years to get through that backlog. Um, I don't know production. I know production of the higher density forty six eighty is also progressing as planned. Which I guess that's what this new cyber, the Cybertruck is going to start off with this new version of the forty six eighty cell. Is that do you think that's right, Martin? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of, I don't know, I don't know if you guys are excited about the Cybertruck. I know, Francie, what, what do you think about this thing? Yeah, we talked about, or we will talk about this on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people, we talk about how polarizing it is, right? You either kind of <laughs> love or hate the Cybertruck, and you spoke of, there's like a million reservations, and it sounds like Elon slash Tesla have the other kind of reservation where, you know, they are saying that it's, it's a challenge, and who knows what will come next in terms of their next EVs. I've seen some different news about that, but yeah, they did confirm that 800 volt architecture, um, which is interesting because hopefully the infrastructure can take advantage of that capability. So it seems like a future proofing kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, of course, folks are excited about the, you know, how it's a big event and kind of like a party for the <laughs> Cybertruck that has been long awaited. So. An interesting call overall from Tesla that we kind of spoke about. A lot of hesitancy or um, apprehension, kind of not just super gung-ho, super excited from not only Tesla, but other automakers as we've talked about today. And I have to remind everyone, we did the, uh, on Twitter, I did my poll last year. I, I did it for the last two years. And the end of 2021, I ran a poll on how many Cybertrucks would Tesla sell in 2022. And um, of course, the year went through because they were supposed to launch then. Actually, they're supposed to launch two years ago. even. And uh, so, but they sold none. So then I ran the poll again on uh, December 31st of last year. And I'm going to give away a free level two charger to the person who, uh, who gets closest. Now you can't jump on my tweet now and, 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 and uh, put in your guess. I've already recorded all the uh, numbers. And there's some people that even said more than 50,000, which obviously isn't going to be the case, 
But um, I, it, it looks like we are going to get some Cybertruck deliveries in 2023. So we are going to give away a charger at the end of this year when um, a, a, a United Chargers Grizzly Classic once uh, the final numbers come in, it looks like we're going to be pretty much where I thought we were going to be. I had said all along, I bet you at some time in December, Tesla starts rolling a few of them, does a uh, like some ha- uh, customer handover, some some, you know, high profile people get them. And and then uh, in, in first quarter of 2021, they really start rolling production. Now, they it's going to launch in November 30th, but I consider that December. So I think I was right on uh, and, um, and, and we're going to get exactly what I thought we're going to get, you know, I don't know, a hundred of them. What do you, what do you, what do you think? Uh, somewhere uh, yeah. in that ballpark are going to get delivered. Maybe even less. They might deliver 10 of them and then (laughs) then hold back until next year. But uh, someone's going to win. Somebody is going to is going to get the I'm going to finally give away the charger. I think they'll get a couple thousand up this year. I think. No way. No way, Don. You don't think no a couple oh, thousand? No. I'm like, I am I'm naively optimistic. but There's like 12 of them sitting in the parking lot at Giga Texas. They put right. on show for that guy who doesn't have a job. He just flies the drone over the factory every day uh, for his job. YouTube audience. That is his I mean, that's called YouTube is a job. I, I know. So he does, I think he's very well out of it. So um, there's like 12 of them sitting there on show and there's probably a couple of really candidates flying around somewhere but um yeah they look horrible don't they the, the pictures we've i'll try and find one online covered in fingerprints and they just it just looks like nasty to try and keep clean get yours wrapped uh and they will probably offer them as wraps from the factory as well uh so get it wrapped because it looks like a nightmare to keep it clean um they might deliver 50 maybe 25 or 50 this year to staff obviously, uh, like they did with the 4680 model wise, And then they'll come next year. I thought what was in- interesting was uh, Elon Musk said, we dug our own grave with it. He said, uh, people have got to temper their expectations of the Cybertruck. And that's interesting because we don't know the price and we don't know the features. And since the right. Cybertruck was announced, we've got the F-150 Lightning, incredible vehicle. I mean, I know that we sort of talk about cutting a shift and stuff like that and supply and demand and maybe they got a little bit more supply it's still a good truck it's a good incredible vehicle Mm. silverado and okay only making the work truck retail versions going production before the end of the year incredible vehicle like it or loathe it hummer i mean it's not a couple of thousand of them but like that's fascinating engineering r1t I mean, the R1T oh, yeah, is just next level brilliance to come from nowhere. And Rivian didn't come from nowhere. They've been around a very long time, but they only really found their mojo and ended up in, you know, with the R1T more recently. Brilliant vehicle. Just incredible. And none of this existed when we first saw the Cybertruck. So the Cybertruck was, if you cast your mind back, not the window shattering stuff, but it was like, oh, wow, an EV truck. Ah, cool. Lots of people... I've been told by Tesla fans forever that there's 2 million reservations for this thing. Mr. Musk confirmed on the call a million, more than a million. More, more said, than a million, yeah. To be specific, that's a million, right? Um, multiple people have multiple deposits in. They've got no intention of buying them because the interest rate 
when that thing was shown off and compared to car finance now is a different world. So how many of those million can actually really afford to live out their little fantasy life of, oh, oh I got five Cybertruck reservations. Because they were $40,000 oh, nice. though. Well, so. that's, that's great. Well, you live in your mum's basement, right? And you spend your life on social media. So how are you going to afford, how are you going to afford those five Cybertrucks that you got deposits in for that you do your little showboating on social media and say, oh, I'm going to buy one. Whoa, whoa, what with shirt buttons? Good luck going to the bank these days and getting a loan. So, um, how, how many about to insure that- it? Oh my god, how many? Who knows? Uh, make, this know? is gonna be crazy, man. This it's, it's like such a I so can't much wait unknown. to see the first crash one and like what the owner has to do to get it fixed. Yeah, well, you know? they won't. I want to see how much will it just it be charges. totaled. Like, you know? yeah, that's it. It's just here's here's your check to go buy a different vehicle. So that's the fascinating thing is how much Elon talked it. Mr. Musk talked it. I don't know. I won't call him Elon. Uh, Mr. Musk talked it down this week. Tempered expectations. Don't expect too much from this. We've, you know, we dug our own grave. It's really hard to do what we're doing. Um, we won't get to volume production till 25. All of that kind of stuff was a very, very different uh, atmosphere. He was somber. He was down. He went on this weird, weird rant about homeworking. And I was like, What? Um, yeah. It was. He's, it was. He is, was not of robust state of mind on that call. He was very delicate and was a lot of venting. Um, and it reminded me of you know late to late early sort of oh eight oh nine Tesla. And it reminded me of Model Three Ramp Tesla, where there were so many people that were saying the company was going to fail. Um, and he he seemed like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders mm-hmm. on those calls. Whenever you heard him talk or anything, it was like, oh, man, you're carrying a lot. You know, you're sleeping at the factory and you never see your kids. And that's the life you've chosen for you and fair play. But um, it was a lot. And it's and this call this week seemed like that. It, it was like, woof, where did that come from? Right. So I think that they're worried. Cybertruck comes out November. Real customers will get them next year because we staff this year. And that people go, oh, I mean, it's it's okay, and it won't be forty thousand dollars. But for like sixty five thousand dollars, oh, okay, like it'll be good. But will Maybe. it be? Will it blow you away the way the launch did? Right. I I, I really I don't know. I don't know. I, I must. I have a blind spot with it because I wouldn't buy one myself because I, I don't understand the look of it. Um, but that's yeah. you know, oh, that's just me. Either. Like I wouldn't spend my own money on it, but I appreciate lots of people do like it. So I'm not going to live in a bubble. I know someone here in New Jersey that has 50 on on reservations and he's <laughs> he fully plans on buying all 50 Woo! and he's he's going to ha- his plan is to have a business where he rents them. And That's, he's like I mean, everyone's going to want to rent this for sh- like you know short periods of time mm-hmm. and which is true. You know so wow. that that that's what his plan is. That's so, ambitious. I'm hoping he, he's promised to get me give me one to borrow to make videos like cuz he was right up day 1 first minute it came out you know so he should be pretty far in the line i did reserve one but not for a while so i'm not getting one anytime soon but if i can grab his for a while to uh to shoot some content with that that should be fun yeah so we could probably get to end the show um a little over time a couple of things i really want to mention they're out there uh there's a thing on uh Redwood materials the the uh, lithium battery recycling company run by J.B. Strobel, who was the CTO of uh, Tesla, actually. And, and may I just say, he's probably as responsible for Tesla's success as Elon Musk ever was or is. Mm-hmm. Just my opinion, just throwing that out there. Uh, yeah, so they are, what are they, they're buying, they have a port, they opened the portal. So you can, 
uh, get an offer for your used EV battery pack and ship it with them, but not retail customers, not like you or I cannot. You have to be a licensed, uh, what's the word? Not dissembler, you know, but like a, you know, like a scrappy salvage yard. You have to have like mm-hmm. the, some sort of actual licensed business going on doing that. But those those businesses can, you know, offload their, their used EV batteries and send them into the recycling stream, which is great to see. Francie, you want to say something about that real quick? You look yeah, really I love excited. this. I, I love, yeah, I love the work at Red, Redwood Materials. Been keeping up with it for a long time. Know a few of the team members over there, in fact, um, pretty well. And I think it's a really cool organization and just battery recycling and closing the loop on electric vehicles and their batteries in general is very enticing to me. I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of innovation here. And of course, Redwood has been a bit in front of the game. They're you know, really working on their plants um, and all the chemical engineering and thermo, you know, dynamics that is happening to make this process possible. And then they're going to need the EV batteries. So we're going to need to have the EVs use them enough. The batteries, you know, aren't as we kind of talked about today, they aren't degrading super fast. Right. But um, so just they'll, but they'll need a feed so that we can try to recycle them and then, you know, reuse those to limit the impact on the planet. So I think it's really cool. If you haven't heard of Redwood, check them out. Uh, a really interesting company with a great mission and a lot of cool people behind it. So I just, I love to hear this. I think it's of course a great idea and that they're officially being like, all right, you can start using the portal if you're going to have these supplies. And I know that we saw a lot of, you know, those Rivian EDVs with Amazon in a scrapyard and Mike, you know, we're not Mm. really sure what happened there, right? It was just a Reddit post, but where will those batteries go? Hopefully places just like this. Right on. All right, uh, man. So many other things I wanted to talk about this week, but I guess we'll have to do it another time. Um, we, can say, uh, we can get Francie. Will you come on our uh, battery bargains midweek show that we do, and we'll find you an EV, if, even if you're not buying it now. Yeah, yeah, I would love to come on. I'm really happy I got to come on today with y'all. Of course, been watching, and thanks for the awesome audience as well. Y'all have great comments, great conversation. So hope to see you a bunch, if not at the Out of Spec podcast over here and on Battery Bargains. Is that what we're calling it? That's what we're going to call it the midweek show. Yeah, yeah, that's what we've been calling it. So I think we're kind of stuck with it for at least for now. Same channel. Just we'll we'll put it. Are you in Colorado? Same as Kyle. I, I was, but now I'm back. I'm in the southeast where my roots are. I'm hailing uh, back back south, so maybe I can get my my southern accent up so that we can have <laughs> your English accent, my southern accent, and then <laughs> Tom's good. accent, and then Dominic. It is it is my yeah, roots. Amazing. Really Dominic doesn't have an accent, but thank you. Uh, oh, you're the neutral. I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. I've some amazing of- uh, some amazing incentives in Colorado at the moment. So I saw that this week was which was yes. um, it's like five thousand dollars on top mm. of the federal stuff. So it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, man, this is some great news. So maybe I'll move back for a second and then right. Yeah, just go long back, enough to buy a vehicle and get your driving license, file some taxes, get your five grand off, and then get back to where you <laughs> down south. I'm so. still a resident there, so it oh, work. you should okay. be okay then. Oh. So oh, um, Ooh. there you go. So there you go. All right, yeah, we'll get. You want a midweek show and 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 let you do a lot more talking and uh and, and hear, <laughs> hear all about what you need and what you want and we'll find you we'll find you some suggestions yeah Sounds so, uh, so yeah tune into the out of spec podcast check that out uh francis got a lot of great and they're not, they're not super long like this show if you want it like a 20 minute you know quick bite and they usually have really good insight into what's going on so but that brings us to the end of this show if you have any questions or comments please leave them below or get in touch with us on twitter where we are Batteries Inc. 
pod or on threads where we are batteries included podcast you can also follow martin on twitter or threads at ev news daily on twitter tom is at tomalog that's with two m's and tomalogny on threads i'm dominic yoni on threads and in real life francie are you on social media Yes, you can find me on formerly Twitter at hey, hey underscore Francie. And um, that's really the most part. Of course, you can email podcast at outofspecstudios.com if you want to email about the podcast, about topics or questions or whatever. Awesome. Don't forget, if you like the show, please, please give us a thumbs up. We love those thumbs up. They help us a lot. Uh, click subscribe. Tap that bell icon for notifications so you don't miss any of our shows. And thank you all very much for joining us. And we'll see you on the next one. Ciao.